Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, I just found out that Bjork's son looks a lot like I did when I was in my 20s. I just found out that Bjork had a son. And he's in his, he's like in his, I think, 30s. He, he looks 20s or 30s, I can't tell. Huh. I'm looking at a picture of him, yeah. Well. Someone tweeted out on my, my timeline, and yeah, dude looks like I did at that age. He looks like a, he kind of looks like a young Jack Black, to be completely honest. I'm gonna have to look this up after our episode is done because I am intrigued now, very intrigued. Uh, but you're not here to hear about Bjork or Bjork's child. Uh, you are here to hear about lore in Blizzard Entertainment games. Uh, so today we're gonna be focusing on some questions from you, our listeners, uh, mostly just so we can kind of catch up on those a little bit, but also. Uh, so that we can prepare for other episodes in the future. Woo-hoo. So if you have questions for this podcast or the other podcast, be sure to go ahead and send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we'll be sure to look there for anything. Make sure you specify what show it's for. Otherwise, Matt and I have to mud wrestle to see who gets what for which show. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can, however, head over to our Discord channel. Uh, set aside specifically for Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you. We tried to look there first for questions, uh, and you can just go ahead and drop them in again, specify for which show. Uh, if you are not a Patreon supporter, uh, don't do the email thing. We do have one set aside for Q and uh, podcast questions for non-Patreon supporters. We do understand that times are tough, and if you can't support us, we understand. Uh, we will also be making a little bit of a push this month trying to get our Patreon numbers up, so if you are interested in getting your questions, questions answered a little more, uh, well, have a better chance at it, uh, or if you are looking to get uh, access to our content a little bit quicker, whether it's this show, the Blizzard Watch podcast, or if it's one of our D&D shows, uh, if you can toss us a little bit extra on Patreon, that's 
uh, patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. We do appreciate it. But without further ado, we are going to go ahead and get into some wonderful questions. And our first one up comes from Lord Soth, who is a Death Knight on Kartgath, in case anybody didn't remember. Greetings, watchers. I, Lord Soth of Azeroth, have a question about the mysterious world known as Sanctuary. Uh, I was but a young lad in middle school when I played through Diablo 2, and it's been a while since I revisited the lore. When I played the game, I was under the impression that destroying the Soul Stones somehow permanently destroy the spirit of the Demon Lord. Obviously, this is not the case as Diablo 3 established. Am I misremembering the game as it was about two decades ago that I played through it, or is that more of a retcon? Could you expand upon the lore of the Soul Stones in general? They seem like a fairly feeble method of trying to control the Lords of Hell. And this is where I turn to Matt, who uh, knows way more about Diablo than I do. So Matt, what do we know about the Soul Stones? Well, first off, the Soul Stones were created by taking pieces off of the World Stone, a.k.a. the, the Eye of Anu, um, the thing that made Sanctuary in the first place. They, they took little chips of it off, and that's where all the Soul Stones, including the Black Soul Stone, they're all made out of that. They're all little pieces of the, of the World Stone. This is going to come up again in Diablo Immortal because the, the, things that they're, the things that are being fought over by the various demons and other forces... They're pieces of the world stone that exploded. When the world stone exploded, the fragments of it scattered across Azeroth, across Azeroth, <laughs> across <laughs> sanctuary. sanctuary. Weren't, and, the, uh, weren't the original soul stones like supposedly created by like Tyrael or something like that? Or... Yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. Um. Uh. When when the uh, he, Tyrael did not make them. It should be repurposed. No, 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 no. Tyrael did nothing except provide the information. Okay. Tyrael. Tyrael created the Haradrim and told them how to do it, but it was the Haradrim who did it because that's his way of getting around the don't interfere clause. When uh, the angels and the demons made their pact, they had a non-interference thing. The demons got around it by getting themselves banished to sanctuary. That was their way around the pact. The angels couldn't object because it wasn't, they weren't there of their own volition. Essentially they were banished there. Now that's a polite fiction, but that's what they did. Tyrael's way around it was to basically, sure, I told them that they could do it, but I didn't actually do it. Mm -hmm. The Haradrim were run by mortals. They, they made their own decisions. Tyrael's involved. He wasn't the leader. He was simply the source of their information. It's, it's a very, it's cribbed from actual like medieval uh, magical theology, essentially. Like the idea of like you know Solomon speaking to the angels to learn his wisdom, that sort of thing, the goetic knowledge. They supposedly oh. it came from angels, um, and it's it's a it's a nod to that. Yeah. So Tyrael informed them how to make the soul stones, but they made them themselves. And one of them, uh, a wizard named Zoltan Cool, was so good at it that he kept studying the he kept studying the soul stones, and eventually figured out, oh, I can do better than this. Mm -hmm. Because the soul stones Tyrael taught them to make work on demons. The one that Zoltan Cool made works on anything. It works on angels. You could put an angel in that thing. And that was not something Tyrael would want them to be doing. But obviously, once it got into the mortal hands, mortals being the inventive lot that they are, could study it and go, oh, no, I know how this works. I can, I can totally change this around, and now it'll do this. But that, we'll get back to that. The soul stones were never... They weren't a destruction method. They were. There's a reason that they tried to use them to trap the uh, Lords of Hell, not to destroy them. You'll notice that when they got the Soul Stones, 
they didn't immediately just take them to the Pandemonium Forge and smash the suckers. No, they they if I remember they, correctly, they entrusted them to various individuals or organizations, yeah. right? To, one of one of them got imprisoned. one of them one of them was underneath the two, the temple in Karast, uh, in in uh, Chaldeum, not in Chaldeum, but in uh, I can't remember the name of the empire that Chaldeum's a part of. You're talking about the Temple of Light with the Zakarum. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And over time, that one which held Mephisto. Uh, his he managed to reach out from it and corrupt the leadership of the Zakarum ch- Church, which is why, among other things, it's why the Crusaders set out to try and purify the church because they were like, we don't know what's going on here, but everybody's corrupt, so we're going to go out into the world and look for the source of the corruption, not realizing it was in the basement. No one told them, oh hey, that the corrupting influence is literally in the basement of the. Just go down in the basement, and and then we can, you know, that's where it is. Mm-hmm. So they went looking throughout the world because they didn't know, and n- never once realized, hey, we should be in the basement. So that's where the Crusaders come from. Um, meanwhile, he was corrupting the church. Mephisto cor- corrupted the Zakarum over the course of centuries. The other one was put. Uh, the, the one of them got broken. That was the one that was yeah. fated for Ball, right? I think yeah, it was. Tal Rashaw, Tal Rashaw, who was like the head of the of the order at the time, the head of the Rajram, was carrying that one, and it got broken. So they're like, okay, we're just going to have to, we got to come up with something else. And Tal Rashaw was like, stick him in me, and I'll I'll keep him imprisoned in didn't, myself. Yeah, and didn't that he, worked didn't for he like stab himself in the chest with like a big piece of the shard to like basically make mm-hmm. himself into a soul stone? Yes, essentially that is what he did. And uh, when he did that, he trapped Ball for centuries. But Ball, basically, when we see Ball in in Diablo Three: Lord of Destruction, he's in Taurashah's body. That's why he looks like that. That's not the form he had in Hell. That's him inside Taurashah's body. He corrupted it and used it so that he could move around and stuff and be free to act. But He's still technically imprisoned inside Towershaw's body. It's just that Towershaw no longer has the ability to stop him. Um, so that's that's what's going on with Ball. Diablo's soulstone was taken far to the, I believe, north and uh, west. Yeah, north and west, which uh, to where is now Tristram. I want to say. Yeah, Kenduras, where is now Tristram, and they, there was a monastery of the the uh, the Haradrim had a monastery, so they basically kept it there. Um, Unfortunately, eventually the monastery got abandoned and nobody knew that there was a, you know, Lord of Hell in the basement. Uh, and then Mephisto, using the Sacrum Church and using Lazarus, who was an acolyte who he'd corrupted a long time ago, said, you know, go forth. Uh, there's this minor lordling who's going to become king of Kandurus, uh and we're going to use him to get to the, the soul stone that's there and you, you're going to free Diablo. These things were all meant to imprison, not to you know not to kill them and the idea that taking them to pandemonium and smash them on the altar would destroy them that's a nice idea but it had never been tested and what Tyrael didn't know when he gave them that idea because again Tyrael's not a doer you'll notice at no point does Tyrael do anything until he finally steps up and smashes the world stone he's just telling you what to do mm-hmm. occasionally he'll confront like an actual demon but he doesn't otherwise he doesn't you know do a lot he tells you, you know, we're gonna do, we're gonna try this. He didn't know that Cool's Black Soulstone was still out there. He knew that the, the reason Cool got his body cut into pieces and his blood drained out was because a he'd made himself unkillable. Yep. And b he invented the Black Soulstone, which could imprison anything. And he didn't know that Adira had found out about Adria. Sorry, not Adira. Adria had found out about the Black Soulstone and had used it on like all the various lords of hell they were they had been attuned to all of them 
I'm not entirely sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons why she wants to work with you to help you kill Belial and Asmodon because it wasn't attuned to them. So she basically had to help you kill them so that they could get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. Be- but everybody else, Duriel, Andariel, and the three majors, the three big bads, they'd all been attuned to it as part of Diablo's plan. When Diablo was freed, he yes, he went and worked with his brothers, but he didn't trust them because they don't trust each other. None of them do. They're, they're demon lords. Uh, so he had set Adria out ahead of him with just the plan to go get the Black Soul Stone and use it to capture their spirits. When you start killing these guys and smashing their soul stones, that's what happens to them as they go into the Black Soul Stone. Because again, Tyrael didn't know. It might have worked, although it probably wouldn't have. Um, probably what would have happened was you would have smashed the soul stones and their essences would have gone back to hell. Even if the the actual demon lord itself was technically dead, like if Diablo was dead, his essence would have gone to hell in much the same way that Malthiel's essence went back to heaven when we killed him. Malthiel might be gone forever. We might never see Malthiel again, but something is going to get born out of the crystal arch using that essence. There's going to be some force that's going to exist, some some angel that's going to exist that is born because of that. In much the same way the demon lords might have come back, even if even if they had somehow been permanently destroyed, their essence would have returned to hell where it would have been reborn because there's those two crimal forces of Anu and Tathamet still exist in the cosmos. Um, but it was, you know, it's it was an idea. It's not like they had a lot of others. At that point, if you're playing Diablo 2, they don't have a lot of other options. Like, you know, the, the Dark Wanderer is just wreaking havoc across the world. Um, Mephisto is freed. The Zacharum are corrupted and, and practically destroyed. Then, then Ball gets out. You know, we see Ball get free, and then he comes back at the end, and he's got to get stopped, and he manages to corrupt the World Stone. I think it's very much a case of doing the best they can with the tools they have. But there's nothing, there's never anything that, that, that says, you know, I, I know this because we've done it before, and it successfully destroyed a, de- a Demon Lord. They never tried it before. Yeah, they everything is new. It's all, it's all new. Yeah, they tried trapping these guys, and that worked for, you know, centuries, but it's no longer working, and so this is plan B. Especially because once they learn, like, the demons are essentially, like, once they're attuned to the, the soul stones, there's also that, like, their influence doesn't stop because, and I don't know if they ever really fully explained it, but, like, my working theory on that was because it was a piece of the world stone and the world stone made sanctuary, it's kind of really sus to put some demons inside of a piece of the world stone, even if it's attuned to them, and expect them to not be able to have influence on the world around it that was created using that the essentially the same matrix of power. Like it just seemed like a weird solution from the very very beginning to me. Like I, no, we, we didn't even know that that's what they were until Diablo three. So there's yeah, but there's t- that too. I mean, I mean, I'm saying it, no, it, I'm just saying that the Haradrim may not have known that. They may have Fair, just been doing the best they could with what they had. But Tyrael, I mean, in theory, Tyrael did. Yeah, oh yeah, Tyrael probably knew. But again, he doesn't have a lot of options because he can't get heaven to help him. He can't go up to heaven and say, okay, I've trapped these three demon lords and be like, how did you do that? Well, I went to Sanctuary, the place we told you not to go. And I told these Haradrim, you told them angelic secrets? Okay. We're going to have a talk on that one. Like you saw what happened when the, he finally reformed. He immediately gets dragged into that, you know, that pony trial. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. And so there's a lot to the whole Diablo setting that when you really think about it. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It's that it makes a terrifying kind of sense in that people will always find a way to screw up. There's, you know, they, they will always find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak. 
Uh, like we did at the end of Diablo three, when we, you know, we sure we kill Malthiel, but the seven all get out as a response, you know, because Malthiel's plan was so, it was so horrifying. We stopped him, but because Malthiel had the seven in that black soul stone when we did, and he broke the soul stone and keep on, he broke the soul stone and tried to use their power. Mm-hmm. So when he did that, when we destroy him, their, their essence gets released again. You'll notice that when he broke that soul stone and he did it in the pandemonium fortress, it didn't kill them. It just freed them. So it might have been just, you know, this way they'll be freed and they'll they'll go back to hell and then they won't be banished anymore. So there'll be hell's problem again. That might have been what he was going for. Or he might have honestly thought this is this will destroy them. Yeah, it seems like they make a lot of decisions, even at the angelic level, that they're not exactly 100% well-informed, right? Like, even even Tyrael, like in his original idea with the Soul Stones, like you're saying, he, they didn't have much. He didn't have much of a choice, he, in, which is absolutely accurate. But I'm wondering if he, he even possibly understood the full ramifications of what was being done. And so, if he didn't know, and he's probably closer to that than most of the other angels, uh, then maybe you know Malfiel and some of the other ones maybe they just straight up didn't know and they don't know what they're doing and they're just operating off of guesswork it's sort of like in you know when you're talking about the altar of annihilation it's just it, when you we're doing that as players it is rumored that anything smashed upon it will be utterly destroyed nobody knows for sure it it's everything is vague everything is uh sort of we're trying to find out firsthand it's it's one of those it's one of the things I actually like about Diablo probably more than most other games that Blizzard's put out is that there isn't a hard and fast rule for everything. And so as a result of that, these aren't really retcons. They're not really it, not in a, a egregious manner that most people would associate with the term. Right. When we're finding out things, it's because it's vague enough that we are filling in the gaps. And I'm yeah. And I'm good with that versus like something like World of Warcraft, where for the longest time we've had this rigid set of this is what everything does. This is how everything is ordered. And now everything's starting to get thrown out of place and, you know, quote unquote, retconned. Um, But I do like this. And it also gives some very interesting possibilities to what this means moving forward uh, as far as like not just Diablo Immortal, but Diablo 4 as well, because we don't really know a whole heck of a lot of what's going on there yet. Hopefully we will. I mean, BlizzCon's on its way. Maybe we'll get some more. Maybe there'll be a story trailer. Uh, Maybe there'll be something that gives us a little bit more information on it. But I've been thinking about maybe this is one of the many reasons why Lilith is being brought into the mix again. She seems to be the one that has the most knowledge about how all of this stuff works. And I don't know if that is just by design of the character uh, or if that is absolutely intentional, but I find that very, very interesting. We just have all the soul stone uh, stuff going sideways. We have all the, the the black soul stone stuff going sideways in you know Diablo 3. And now all of a sudden here comes Lilith, who probably understands more about demons and angels, more about how Sanctuary was formed and the power of it therein, because, I mean, she was basically there at ground zero. Uh now getting back into the mix, and now we know that the prime evils, or at least some of them, are out and about again and have to be dealt with. I, I'm wondering how much of that is going to be, you know, either consuming their energy or power, taking over their domain, or giving them their final death because she doesn't have any love for them either, right? She doesn't care about really the angels, she doesn't really care about the demons, like any of them, any of the prime evils. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe there's going to be some more soul stone chicanery or something happening 
then that's the reason why she's being brought back. Don't know. But I actually don't think I'll be upfront. Uh, there's two things I want to talk about. One of them is, is retcons in general, but we'll get back sure. to that. Uh, I don't think that Lilith's return has anything to do with soul stones because from the beginning, Lilith's plan was to make the Nephilim. Right. And now they're there. Yeah. And the thing is, is that Lilith alone among the various forces of heaven and hell seems to understand just how terrifyingly powerful the Nephilim are in a way that even Tyrael didn't grasp. He might grasp it now. And that might be one of the reasons we haven't heard from him. We don't know what's going on with him. We'll find out in Diablo 4, but he might be in it. But from the beginning, she wanted to create the Nephilim. She wanted to have children with Inarius. She wanted the other angels and demons to, to, to intermingle. And I think it's partly that she understands, in a way they don't, the origins of their kind. Okay. That angels and demons come from that, that battle between Tathamet and Anu. And that Tathamet and Anu themselves were two halves of a cosmic entity. The previous Anu that divided himself. I, I keep going back to riffing on that Star Trek episode because it is literally what happens in this case. That that line the Aramis character in Star Trek uh, says when he's the episode where Tasha Yar dies. He's like, I am a skin of evil left behind by a race of titans that cast off all the negative about themselves. That's literally what Tothamed is. Tothamed is everything Anu did not want in itself. Because when it was one being, it was essentially all of creation and everything in creation was it. All the things you like, you know, sunshines, rainbows, you know, kittens, and all the things you don't like were, were Tathamet. They were, I mean, were Anu. They were all Anu. And the only way you could define good and evil is by defining them. You, you can't have good and evil unless you sit and say, okay, this is good and this is evil. Mm -hmm. But when everything is you, then this is good, this is evil, it's still you, it's all you. So by in order to know what good and evil are, you have to divide. You have to have that split. And once that's done, the knowledge of evil creates it. Nothing is evil until you know it's evil. Uh, there's that old line from, from uh, Honi Quisi Mali Pence, uh, evil to him who thinks evil upon it. That's kind of how this works. And so alone of, of all of them, it's it's Lilith who seems to understand that the Nephilim can tap into the power of the primordial Anu, the one that was both. O only the Nephilim are both. They have, you know, the angels don't really have... It, free will is not a concept that really gets discussed very much, but angels and demons in the Diablo series don't have perspective... For, because they are they are embodiments of what they are. Yeah, and for for those of you for for those that maybe not too familiar with Diablo, which I know there are some of you that listen to our show that aren't, uh, maybe your main source is, uh, you know, World of Warcraft. It, this it to me the angels in in Diablo are not too dissimilar to how hardline uh, the Naru are essentially in WoW, where they have like almost like very specific roles and purposes. And that they, they because they are the embodiments of it, they adhere to it at a ridiculous level, which is why mortal Tyrael in Diablo three was such a, a, a interesting concept, right? Uh, he was free from the bounds of his, his embodiment. I, I don't know what to say. Like how you to watch that. that when you watch Diablo three, one of the things that's interesting, especially when in the uh, the Reaper of Souls expansion, is Tyrael, even when mortal, is not human. And he's not human because he does not have any descent from demons. There's nothing demonic about him. He does not have that ability to tap into the primordial Anu. He's not a Nephilim. He's not a human. He is mortal. He has a flesh and blood mortal body. 
Um, he eats and excretes and all that. In fact, there's some funny lines when like, he's like, I decided to get all my eating out of the way in one bite. So I ate and ate and ate until I couldn't eat anymore. Now I don't feel well for some reason. Like, oh, sounds like you ate too much. Being mortal is complicated. <laughs> and uh, But that's the thing. When Malthiel sees him and is like, but got him there and is like touching his web, like you can see, like pulling his, the, the mortality on him, looking at it. He doesn't kill him because he's not demonic. There's nothing demonic about him. He is an angel. Even in mortal form, he's still just an angel. Mm -hmm. He's still learning, but he's still an angel. Yeah, his body is mortal. He'll die someday, but he's still an angel. Um, And that's the thing. Lilith seemed to fundamentally understand this in a way that that none of them else, none of the rest of them did. Now, that's pretty much what I think this is going to be about. But going back to the, the retcon thing. We use retcon a lot. Yeah. We're talking about changes that we don't like or that wasn't the way it used to be. And then they retconned it. All retcon means is retroactive continuity. And anytime you do a story where you reveal something that wasn't previously known, you are engaging in a retcon. So, yes, this was a retcon. It's always a retcon. If you ever have anything that is okay, we didn't previously know this, but now we know that the Soul Stone, it's retcon no matter what. Just the, just the if they had added nothing else, but they said, oh yeah, there was a sixth Soul Stone, retcon. If they done nothing at all, but they said Zoltan Kuhl made the Soul Stones, retcon. If they had not done even that, but they, they had Tyrael talk more about the Soul Stones and how he came up with the idea to make them, retcon. It's always a retcon. Any, like Diablo 3 existing, is a retcon because it retroactively adds continuity that we didn't know previously. So was all of Diablo 2. The entirety of Diablo 2 is a retcon because none of that stuff about Karast is in Diablo. Yeah, and a lot none of, of the, a lot of the stuff in Diablo 3 would can be considered a retcon in regards to Diablo 2 and 1 as well. There's a, there's a yeah, lot of, of various things. But I want to make that point specifically about Diablo 2. Everything you see about the Soulstones in Diablo 2 is a retcon from Diablo. Because none of that stuff gets mentioned except very little of it. Like the Lazarus stuff, the Diablo in the thing. It's not even called a soul stone, I don't think. No. I don't think they ever even once call it anything. It's just a crystal the demon's in. In Diablo, yes. And Diablo 2 is one of the first mention of a soul stone. Yeah, in soul stone. Yeah, soul stones in Diablo 2. But in Diablo, they're not called soul stones. No, they're not. And we don't know that there's three of them. We don't know what's... We know that Dark Exiles happened, but there's... My point being, it's always a retcon. It's just... The idea that you, what you're saying is, is this just a bad retcon? It's we need to stop using retcon as a negative. Is really what it boils down to, right? Yeah, like, it's it, all- it, it can't just be something that we just throw around of I don't like this. This is retcon. Retcons happen, right? And that, I, I agree with that point that Matt's making. Superman being vulnerable to kryptonite is a retcon. Yes. Superman Su- being able to fly is a retcon. Superman being vulnerable to magic was a retcon. Yeah, they added that fairly early, but yeah, it wasn't in the original stuff because he didn't run into any magicians. Exactly. How was he going to know that? But I mean, Wonder Woman's origin has been changed multiple times. Batman does a whole bunch of stuff. You know, Batman not using guns. Holy dude, I got some Silver Age, Golden Age stories to show you of him mowing things down (laughs) with machine guns and shooting vampires. He used guns all the time. Oh, yeah. The the point is the point is, is is and I don't think this is is Lord Soth's intention uh, just to kind of bring it all back. I, I think that we need to start using it as the term for what it is, which is a retroactive continuity change, and that's it. Don't use it as a negative. Um. It's going. They're always going to happen. Is yes. my thing. Like Diablo Immortal, 
full of retcons because we, ne- we never once heard about we didn't know what happened in that 20 year gap between Diablo two and Diablo three. Now we're finding out that people spent a lot of time gathering up pieces of the world stone that had been corrupt, that were like using the corrupt, you know, ball essence and using them as a power source for their evil plans. Obviously that was never covered in Diablo three. And now we're finding out about it. It's the first time we're finding out about it. It's retroactive continuity. It's, Mm -hmm. it's stuff that we didn't know about. And that's just, yeah. In terms of, the last line you use before we move on, because I do think we should move on because we've been talking yeah. about this for like 20 minutes. Uh, but they seem like a fairly feeble method of trying to control the Lords of Hell. Nothing has worked to control the Lords of Hell in the entire history of the war between the you know angels and the demons. Nothing has worked yet. These are eternal. Uh, if, if, these are eternal forces you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like, if nothing else, at least they were bound for a time. That's more than anybody else managed to pull off. The angels tried it once on Diablo when he managed to tick off, uh, what's his name? Jerk, jerk mode. I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> oh, I know you're talking about. Uh, Imperius. Imperius, yeah. They managed to tick Imperius off so much that Imperius killed him. And you'll notice that when he killed Diablo, it just sent him back to his realm. Mm-hmm. His his realm of terror, and he just regenerated. So, yeah, the Soul Stones may, not, may have had flaws, but had they been... First off, if one wasn't broken. Secondly, had had he been, if Tyrael had been able to take them to heaven, perhaps, and you know, or to the Pandemonium Fortress, and the angels could have, like, you know, done something, maybe they would have lasted longer instead of just kind of leaving them around for mortals to watch. Clearly, mortals weren't up to it, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I think that is hopefully an answer to your question, and then some, Lord Saw. Thank you very much. Uh, we always seem to get on tangents whenever you uh, toss one our way, so thank you very much. Uh, our next one comes from KTS Stories. Question for Lore Watch. Do you think the context of Shadowlands changes how we should view the Warbringer shorts? Maybe not as Jara. We see her at the moment of her deal to escape death, and that seems straightforward, but we see Sylvanas's fall, transformation into Banshee, and Delarin declaring she made an enemy of life, which all have more context now. Even more than that, I wonder about Janus short. She's riding in a boat with her father playing uh, Charon. Spirits swirl up from the sea and faces stare down at her from the skies. I assume those things were metaphors, but given what we know of the Shadowlands now, were they? Um, so that's probably the one that I think might change the most, depending on the context of the Shadowlands. If the veil between the worlds is starting to thin, it is also entirely possible that in some manner, in whatever form, uh, that Jaina's father and the spirits of the Kaltiran ancestors exist, whatever their version of uh, of the land is that they go to in the Shadowlands or death in general, that they may have been able to reach back out. We do know that there are more realms than we can possibly know and more than we've seen. That part is fairly obvious. Uh, I'm going to actually stop for you a second and make a point here. Go ahead. Where are Derek Proudmore and his sailors from? Okay. Not it doesn't have to be too specific. Just where are they from? They're what from, nation are they from? They're from Calteris. Who lived in Calteris before the Calterans? Wouldn't that be the the Drust? Where do the Drust currently inhabit? Thros. And where does Jaina get taken? Where she sees her father and all sorts of other stuff during that expansion. Oh, well, yeah. And where are we currently dealing with an incursion into the Shadowlands from? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. It's quite possible that all Kulterians are vulnerable to the Drust because they, you know, they not only did they have people who learned, like, you know, they, they had the, the Thorn Speakers who taught Druidic energies to them throughout history, but also 
they're kind of interbred with them. Yeah, it's part of their cultural like history, genetic history, right? Yeah. I, gu- I guess. I guess the question is, does that change then the context of that that short with that in mind? Now that we know a little bit more about that. I mean, we don't know, but it, it's it is something it can be added to the conversation. Whether or not it changes the context of the short, that's. I think it is too soon to make a point, a judgment on that one. Um, but in terms of the Sylvanas one, yes, it adds context just because we know enough now to know that it's not hyperbole. She's literally made an enemy of life. Life is her enemy. Oh, yeah. Life is what she considers to be unfair and broken. That's one of the weird things about any setting where you actually know what the afterlife is. In, in the real world, we don't know what happens when we die. We have theories, we have religious beliefs, but we don't know. We have to live our lives in uncertainty. But Sylvanas can actually find, like, look at life and say, this is unfair. I know how it ends and it's wrong. She can, knowing something allows you to define it in a way that not knowing can never allow you. So it does change the way that that short is viewed. When you watch it, it's different now. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think in, in all case, in the, in the, in the both cases you mentioned, the context has been changed. I yeah. would agree with that. And I, w- I would tend to agree as well. Um, and I would think that probably, I think you are right that the Ajara one's probably the, the one that remains almost unchanged because it really doesn't deal with this quite yet. Uh, so yeah, but I don't know if we have anything else that really needs to be added to that, but I think you are correct. And we'll find out exactly how much that shifts as the expansion continues. Our next question comes from M hyphen a, now that I remembered who you were, because usually you put the hyphen part in there in the emails, but this is in discord. So, Hey, there you a uh, question for lore watch friends. I'm a bit lost. I started at BFA Alliance, but spent more time Hortside. who and what exactly are the trust? I thought they were just some sort of invading force with whatever I'm misremembering about Thros, but maybe not. Why, how did they end up in a specific realm of the Shadowlands as a group instead of being sorted as individuals into the four zones we know so far? Unrelated question. We mess up everywhere we go. What have we ruined in Shadowlands so far, not counting the first part of Revendreth? Um, do you want to... We were we were talking about the Drust a little bit. Do you want to go a yeah, little bit okay. more into it? Uh, basically, we we know that the Drust are an offshoot of the Vrykul. That's been basically hinted at and then stated directly enough. That's why, if you see Gorak Tool, that's why he looks like that. That's why they they all yeah they were they were sea they were seafaring Vrykul that s- settled in the Kaltiris Islands after the Sundering. Yeah, um, they they had a their kind of druidism that they practiced was very much life and death as cycles related, um, which is certainly part of druidism from the beginning, and it it touches on Ardenweald and the, and the Emerald Dream, like because life and death, you know, that's the kind of thing that they 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 touch. If you look at Drust Druid forms, because the Druid forms that Kaltirans learn are learned from the Drust. Uh, you'll notice they're all kind of like wicker and bone type stuff. It's, you know, wood and skull type type magic. During the arrival of the humans from from uh, what is now Gilneas onto the islands of, of Kaltiris, the Drust didn't want to share. And, you know, it was they'd been there first. It makes sense. Um, and the humans had settled there already. They'd built settlements before the Drust found out about them. Um, at this point, there wasn't anywhere for them to go. Like, you know, this is like, I, I lived in this place. My, my dad lived here. This has been in my fi- family farm for three generations. I can't, where am I supposed to go? And the dresser are like, die. That's where you're supposed to go. We're going to kill you. So the cult were like, well, obviously I'm not going to stand here and die. So it's complicated, but obviously they both sides had kind of a, an animus towards the other. 
the Drust started using their magic more and more, like as they were losing the war because their numbers weren't big enough. Well, wasn't also they, then the, then they lose the support of the the Thorn Speakers during that? Not time of the not war there thing? yet, not there yet, not okay. there yet. Um, the uh, Drust began using their magic in ways to try and basically get around. Okay, we lost three hundred guys in that fight, but we'll pull their spirits forth and put them into these constructs. And that'll keep them fighting for us. We don't have to lose. When we lose people, we just bring them back and stick them in the constructs. And the Thorn Speakers are like, that's totally wrong. That's not how we do this. That's our magic is not to be breaking the cycle of life and death like that. What they, that's insane. And uh, guys like Gorak Tool were like, nope, going to do it. So the Thorn Speakers led by, um, oh, he's still around too. I can't even remember his name. But the, the one that you see in... Uh, Drusfar, the the last remaining Thornspeaker druid, he led his the, the Thornspeakers yeah. out of the Drust. His name is Ulfar, by the way. Ulfar, thank you. He's like they rebelled and we're like we're not gonna we're not gonna be part of this. We you know now we're gonna fight you because this is an abomination what you're doing. Um, this led to ultimately pretty much all the Drust ended up dead, but not dead because they were taken out of their bodies and placed in constructs. Because construct bodies were felt to be like you know practically invulnerable, um, but in the end it didn't stop the they didn't stop the Colterans. The Colterans managed to actually beat them because they learned ways to defeat their magic. Things that their, their magic didn't work very well against fire or silver, so they used silver items and fire to like burn. You know, they basically fire is just a brute force. The thing's made out of wood, so we're gonna burn it. You know, dead wood is not. It's pretty. It's pretty vulnerable to fire. They're essentially walking kindling, which so is why that whole inquis- inquis- inquisitorial thing revolves around fire. Yeah, and silver because it disrupted dress magics. But in the process of doing this, they I, we don't know if they created Thros or if Thros was some place that already existed that they corrupted. But Thros became the Blighted Land. It's essentially a land of eternal decline. Uh, it's like if you think about the Winter Queen and, and Ardenweald as eternal autumn, eternal winter, as part of a cycle of nature. Like winter exists and it's cold and we don't like it, but it's, the blanket of snow helps provide you know, security to plants over the cold. The, the winter exists as part of the cycle, leads into spring and summer. You know, each one is part, each, each one, the land rests so it can be renewed sort of thing. The Drust created a place that was like permanent, winter and autumn with no spring or summer, no return. They broke themselves out of the cycle of life and death so that they wouldn't, their animal wouldn't be taken. Their spirits wouldn't be sent to any of the other Shadowlands. They wouldn't be part of the cycle anymore. And now they've been trapped in that for centuries and they want to cheat. They don't want to get sorted. They don't want to get sent anywhere. They certainly don't want to go to Revendreth and have everything pulled out of them or, you know, Bastion and have their memories stolen. They want a shortcut back to life. And that's why they're invading the Ardenweald. They're trying to get the, the the Garden of Rebirth so they can cheat their way back into being living beings. Because as of right now, all they are is basically weapons platforms for like a few remaining ones like Gorak Tool or the one Gorak Zal, I want to say. The Gorak Zal, yeah. Yeah. The, the various Goraks. Gorak clearly means something along the lines of leader. Uh and the various Goraks are like you just using the vast majority of the Drust. When you see a like a, a 
various Ardenweald people with one of the Druss masks on their face, it is my assumption that that mask has a Druss spirit in it. Yeah, that would make the most amount of sense, right? Like, we were talking about the level in which they can corrupt, but that makes the most sense is that some essence of... It might not even... Here's the thing, like, knowing a little bit more about Thros, like... The Drust aren't the only entities that exist there. There mm-hmm. are other fiends and creatures that exist in Thros, um, but we don't know if those spirits that are contained inside of those masks are uh, more of the Drust that are, you know, basically taking over the spirit of the Sylvan, or if it's those creatures being given a way to sort of uh, consume, infest, or possess uh, that that particular shell. Um, the reason I don't think there's any consumption going on is because when you kill them, their their the true self usually speaks and it exists and is still there. So I don't think they are consuming the, the spirits, except in the campaign where there's several that we do release from those masks that die because yeah they in, they die, but that doesn't mean that they're not their spirits have been consumed. It just means that they're rather than allow them to escape, they they kill them. It's quite possible that the binding is so strong because they're being parroted, puppeted around. I don't know. This is we're definitely in a place where we don't know for sure what's going on with those masks. Yeah. Now, there are some other things to know about the uh, the Drust, I guess, from Battle for Azeroth that I, I remember vaguely. And I'll, I'll have you fill in some gaps here for me. Um, but I do remember that there is a tie between Thros and there's an island not too far off of Stormsong Valley called, I think it's Fate's End. Uh, yeah, that's the prison that they originally tried to send the Jaina to. Yes. And it's also connected to Thros. Because here's the thing. If you look at Thros, it's the entirety of Kul Tiras. Yeah. It's not, it's just that it's a part of it that's most closely manifested is the version of, it's the area in Drusvar around that tree, which looks just uh, like the tree's, that the uh, night elves use. Yeah, it's it's like almost a twisted version of it. I believe the tree's name is Golanoth. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and that tr- that tree is very central to the part of Thros that we access. But Thros seems to be like Thros in a way seems to be just like the Emerald Dream, but in reverse. Yes, it, it's like a, this weird. It, it's on the same level as uh, the Emerald Dream and the Emerald Nightmare, and it's sort of like that that layer of reality. Uh, that exists, but twisted and corrupted instead of being, like you said, uh, an entity of life in, you know, spring and summer, which, you know, we would expect to see. It's not winter. It's not autumn. It's just this weird soul. What would you have? Place. Yeah. What would you have if you didn't have any of the seasons? If you didn't yes. have the cycle of life and death? Yes. Rebirth, you know, all of it. You just you've cut off a layer from that. Uh, and I don't know. Like, that's why I don't know if it was a they made it or if it was there and they corrupted it. I don't know the answer to that. Question. So there is hints that they, cor- that, that not that they corrupted it. Right. So there are some hints in game uh, that I remember seeing that Thros existed beforehand and that the Drust, as they called upon their power sort of, it's a weird analogy, but it almost feels like the whole 40 K and the warp thing, right? The more you use this power, the more you're altered by it. Uh, but the more it tries to take on a form familiar to you to help further along that corruption, that almost feels like what Thros is doing uh, or was doing. And as they started dipping further and further into the magic and using it to circumvent death, that's where those, I think those like fiends and everything else that exist in Thros, I think they might've already been there. There is some hint 
in uh, what we're doing now in Shadowlands that maybe this is a realm of death that had already existed, but maybe had been reshaped or given form because that's, that's... I gotta, I gotta stop you. Go ahead. Back in, back in 2018, there was a lore panel where Alex Afrasiabi said that it was the Emerald nightmare. Yes. But they were, but that's, I'm just telling you, that's a lore panel from 2018. Yes. That's not actually in game. Yes. But it needs to be pointed out because all this stuff you're talking about in game was created with that in mind. So we don't know if they're going to decide that that's what it was. It would certainly make sense if if the you know if the, the old gods are totally outside the cycle. Yes, they are. They do not live, they do not die, they are outside the cycle. So they might very well have been the source of Thros because it would serve them. We know they invade the realm of death. We've seen the void and attack the realm of death. So very likely the old gods would be totally down with like help create like a shadow realm like Thros. Um, we don't know yet though. And that's just something I felt like needs to be mentioned. Yeah. And, and I, I don't want to take anything away from that, but it's also one of those things where it should also be taken with a grain of salt simply because it hasn't popped up in game yet. Uh, and so even though it was from a panel over the years, they have said things that they've changed later on. Uh, there's been several lore panels where Metzen was involved that things shifted ever so slightly as well as things progress. And we going back to the earlier conversation of retcons, nothing says that they couldn't have altered the trajectory. The only reason I'm bringing it up as a possibility is if this was a realm of death that had already existed, that had been co-opted, whether it was by the, the Drust or whether it was originally co-opted by the old gods and the Drust were tapping into it, it seems almost like there was a molding of this realm to match a certain sensibility. And it could be very much like the Emerald Nightmare. It could be very much like the Emerald uh, Dream in which it was a template that had been uh, layered on or created at some point. But they keep referring to it as a realm of death, a realm of death. And that's the part that sticks with me. And one of the things we talked about last week, and we've talked about this a few times, is that the realms of death seem to be shapeable. The ones that we deal with all seem to be uh, manifest aspects of whatever sire is placed in charge of that particular realm. Uh, It matches their personality. It matches their desire, their form, their aesthetic, for lack of a better set of terms. It's also entirely possible that other realms of death can react like that. There was, a in real life, in a bunch of different uh, religious uh, observances, there's this idea that your afterlife takes on an aspect familiar to you from your life to make you more comfortable. Uh, in popular culture, if you're not familiar with a lot of other world cultures, just look at Supernatural, where they go to heaven. Uh, and they the individual souls that go to heaven are given a perfect encapsulation of what would be their ideal. And we see some hints that there might be some particular, or, or there might be some credence to that in the Shadowlands before the great realms were given or ordered. Um, the thing that Bomsamdi shows that could be a lie could also be based off of a shred of truth as the best lies often are. Uh, there could be more here to it, which is why Thros is one of the most fascinating places I think we could possibly. I want to know more about the Drust and Thros and that interaction. And I want to know if Thros existed beforehand, why it is how it is right now. Why is it Kaltiran 
like the entire island of Kulteris essentially in look? Is it because that piece was carved away from the dream and the nightmare and co-opted? Was that the goal of the old gods? Because you talk about the old gods were they're outside of the cycle. How are they outside of the cycle? Is it because they're void? Void seems to be part of the cycle in general. Um, it could also be potentially to me that this was an experiment on their part that they were looking for a way, just like the dress were to circumvent life and death. And maybe they figured it out because we know that Cthulhu really ain't dead. Uh, we know that Yog saron really ain't dead. We didn't really finish that off. I don't think Nazoth is dead in any way, shape or form. Let's be honest about that. So if they're outside of that cycle and they can't live or die, is that the reason why did they corrupt the Emerald dream quick enough, early enough to carve out a portion for themselves. Is that why when we cleanse the corruption of the Emerald Dream in Legion, that what's left behind is that void rose, that corrupted rose that sits there at this intersection of life and death, uh, sort of like the infection creeping in as a little bit of a souvenir or reminder. There's so much here that could be really interesting story that I'm excited for. I really, really, really hope we get to go to Thros proper and deal with the Dross because we didn't really do it yet. I would love to see more about that. Now, there was that second question that you had there that you said is unrelated, um, but I think it also might partially be related to everything that's going on, possibly even with the Dross. You say, we mess up everywhere we go. What have we ruined in Shadowlands so far, not counting the first par uh, part of Revendreth? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the biggest mistake we have made probably right now is helping the brokers because they are shady, shady, shady. As you progress through a, a bunch of their uh, rep levels, whether it's Venari or the others, the story that sort of unfolds is really, really interesting, and they're definitely up to something. There's a conversation between two of them that if you're an Ouroboros, you can pick up where they make a comment about the mortals continue to consume and they're going to say something else before their companion just says, stop talking. We're not supposed to talk about that. So I think whatever we're doing is probably bad and probably going to result in the brokers becoming a bigger threat or power later on that has to be dealt with. And I think that's our biggest mess up. We're not questioning that relationship. Do you think that there's something else that we've messed up pretty badly so far? I mean, you know, I, kind of like the reverend just one's really big you take that away from us and it's sort of like i mean we work in we work in bastion alongside the uh the kyrian but the kyrian are creepy af and definitely need to rethink their their approach to things um ardenweald is pretty straightforward maldraxxus there's nothing good about maldraxxus no and also this isn't really related to us messing things up but someone made a point the other day i, I think it might have been um, I'm Christian Thomas, who works for the site, Calcius, you might know him as. Uh, he made the point that there's quests in, in Maldraxxus where you dig into the ground and dig up bones. Not bones from animals, just bones. And there's these giant hair things you pull out of the ground at several points. Maldraxxus itself might be a giant corpse. Yeah. And that mean, makes me wonder, Maldraxxus is one of the largest Shadowlands. It is. If you look at the map, it's one of the biggest... And then I started thinking about the fact that all the Shadowlands may have been connected at one point. The Maw might have been the original center of everything. Is the Shadowlands itself, all of it, just the giant broken corpse of something that wasn't supposed to die? I mean, it would fit the aesthetic, wouldn't it? But also think about, like, we, we keep wondering what the Jailer did. Maybe he killed the thing that wasn't supposed to be killed? 
Yeah, or you know, he may have created death. Maybe that's why we have death because he created mortality when he killed something that wasn't supposed to die. I don't, oh. I don't know, but and we're just mucking around in all these different zones. We just show up and just decide, okay, we're gonna fix this. You know, it's quite possible that opposing the jailer is a giant mistake, or at least the way we're doing it. Um, yeah, but but I'll see. We'll see what, what what comes out of all that. That's an interesting idea too, because now you start wondering about the individual aspects. And I keep going back to the firstborn. And one of the things that was said to me uh, by one of our our, our listeners, and I, I forget, I can't remember your name. I sincerely apologize, uh, but I get a lot of messages. Uh, is that the all of the firstborn, the ones that we deal with, all seem to be sort of. Um, aspects of personality if that makes sense like they all seem to have like that they're, they're almost like the angels in that way where they have a very defined function and mental capacity and there's this idea that maybe they were part of that entity that like you said that died that shouldn't have died and that them being born in sort of into this shadowlands universe wasn't intentional and was just kind of what happened whatever is whatever died its sense of duty became Kyrestia the Firstborn. Its sense of, of lust and decadence became uh, Daddy Sen- uh, Daddy Denathrius. Sire uh, Denathrius. Daddy <laughs> it, I, I just think it's funny. Everybody calls him Daddy Denathrius. That's the meme. Um, or The sense of, of purpose and militaristic sort of value uh, became, uh, or that need for competitive excellence became... Uh, the Primus and became what, what we know as Maldraxxus. The sense of of nurturing and caring became uh, the Winter Queen. There's there's certainly something there that I think could be potentially what happened. I don't necessarily know that's what the case is, but with what you're saying about maybe Maldraxxus's were digging up bones. Uh, look at the architecture of that place. Look at the mountains of that place. It does seem like it's carved from bone. It does seem like it's carved from a living mass. And that goo that's in the ground, like I'm reminded of in comics where they go to nowhere and they're literally harvesting bits of, of that dead entity. Like that's where all like the materials come from. All the weird fluids come from is that entity in its death cycle. Like it's, it's a floating head in space. Now, maybe that's what's happening with Maldraxxus too. All those plagues, all of those, uh, bioluminescent, everything. Maybe it's because they are actually, were once part of a living creature in a state of decay. Um, there's things that definitely seem to operate as if it was almost like white blood cells where trying to attack, uh, as at least, a, some form of infection. Like, I don't know. There might be something there. I, I would be very interested to see if maybe that's what happened. If maybe whatever entity existed on that realm, maybe it was a... Because it's not... I'm trying to think how the phrase this. This is not the first time we've we've seen something potentially die that shouldn't have been killed. We killed a titan. Technically, titans don't die. We definitely killed one. That shouldn't have happened. What if that isn't the first time something like that happened? What if there is an analog to the titan? What if Zolval is one of those analogs? And what if he did succeed in destroying whatever entity it was, and this is the aftermath, and that's why he was jailed. That's why he was set aside. That's why he was sealed away by all those different aspects of personality. In There there could be something there. I don't know. 
but we're going to find out at some point. <laughs> uh, it's probably going to be closer to it, but I, I think that might be, you might be onto something. That might be our biggest mistake is maybe opposing the jailer in the way that we are. Uh, th- anything else to add to that? No, I think we're pretty good. All right, I think we have time for one more, and this one's going to come from Metal Zani. Uh, Greetings, watchers of severe snow and high winds. Question for either podcast. Well, I stole it for here. <laughs> My question is, would it even be possible for the Titan Forge to invade the Shadowlands to kill Helia? Odin seems like the type of person to hold a grudge, finding out Helia is still around. If he did invade with the Halls of Valor, what are the chances he unintentionally brings some old god hitchhiker and makes everything worse? Since we know he was the last known to be going to Ulduar. Thanks for all the all the work you put into this great show. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, I mean, you spent a lot more time as Odin's Pokemon than I did. What do you think? I don't think he needs to be bringing an old god to screw everything up. I mean, it's practically <laughs> his, you know, Riz and Detra. Um, this is a dude who, you know, when 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 presented with, well, stuff is happening on Azeroth and we're not really taking care of the problem, rather than taking care of the problem, got mad and took his ball and went home. I mean, this is a guy who decided to create, you know, the entire reason we have this whole thing where his eye got taken, hell yeah, even exists is because he didn't want to do his job and he didn't want Tyr to do it either. Like the creation of the dragon aspects yacked him off so bad that he started ripping people's souls out of the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. You know, so he could create an army of like, you know, golden, forever living Stormforged. I just like, if he decided to invade, I mean, Quite frankly, I would think they'd be a little little wary of going to the Shadowlands because that's where they were supposed to be in the first place. Yeah. But I can certainly see the Halls of Valor suddenly appearing off the coast. Like, literally, there's Orobo, suddenly Halls of Valor coming to view and a bunch of, like, Valkyr fairy stormforged over and they start wrecking the place. Uh, it's very Viking in its way. Yeah, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if he shows up with a con- for a confrontation with Helia or sends a force to deal with her and makes things worse as a result. Wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all. And I do think that the, the Stormforge could probably come across. We know that... Uh, they are dead already. It's not. Yeah. It's not like they've they've been here. They were taken from here by Odin it, in the first place. And not only that, but like in a, a lot of the same way, the Stormforge are very similar to the Druss. Their souls shoved into a, a new physical manifestation. Yeah. Right? So, we don't know if they, the way he's doing it is the same, but it certainly is something you could think about. Yeah, I mean, on the surface, and I, we don't know for sure. We don't know what the, the process of becoming Stormforged is, but that's what it feels like to me. Um, and if that is the case, if that is actually the reality of it, and the Drust can come into the Shadowlands and do what they need to do, there's nothing that says that the Stormforged couldn't. And now you make a great point about the Valkyr. Uh, if the Valkyr are supposed to be farriers of the dead and can travel between realms, which we know is true because of the Dark Valkyr, uh, and what was going on with the Lich King and everything else, uh, and Helia's uh, Dark Valkyr in particular, then it would stand to reason that they could travel between that barrier should they so choose. It. We don't know what Odin was doing up in Alduar. We do know that he went to Alduar, and the last time we heard anything from Alduar was during the basically dealing with Nazoth, where we tried to link with Alduar, and Memron's like, nope, pushes the button, blocks us out, and we didn't hear anything else. He just said that he wasn't dealing with it. We don't know if that was because something else was going on up there. Maybe him and Odin were having an epic Pokemon battle. Uh, they just couldn't no, be bothered. No, he would have used me. <laughs> well, you are his champion. But it, then again, I mean, you know, I mean, you can like, can a Pokemon escape? Yes. Like, so, I mean, maybe I've escaped because he, he hasn't, you know, had me in my ball for a while. So who knows? 
It's entirely possible. But it, it is an interesting question to like, because I, we don't know what Odin was doing and it's come up twice now in the end of Legion when everything was freed and, and, and sort of that whole thing was, was kind of put to bed after he was free. We knew he left Alduar. Then we know that something happened or is happening in Alduar during the whole battle for Azeroth while we're dealing with old gods, while we're dealing with Nazoth and everything else, and learning about the Titan facility. We do know that there are other Titan facilities on Azeroth that we don't know about yet, that are vaguely mentioned by the uh, Guardian of the Heart, I think was the one that was pinned to the wall at one point. Um, Aspect of Vitality, or Maiden of Vitality. And Odin would, in theory, have knowledge about those because he was the custodian, right? Like he, he was the actual prime designate. Yeah, so if he was the actual absolute prime designate, he, theoretically he would have knowledge of all those areas. Well, no, keep in mind too, though, a lot of that stuff was built after the Titan Forge beat the old gods. Um, and it was Grandmaster Ra, Raden, was the one who went south and built all that stuff. Sure. And that's one of the things that we don't know how much they were communicating back and forth. A lot of the stuff is all supposed to be part of a world system. So it's presumable that he should be aware of it, or at least he should be aware that it exists. But when Rod and went to the heart chamber, he said, Oh, I didn't know this existed. The Rod and said that. Interesting. Rod and didn't know the heart chamber was there. So if he didn't know it was there, it's quite possible that Odin didn't know it was there. And that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and that makes him possibly more dangerous because... He, he says that he does... I re- remember who he says. He says he recognizes the work. I remember he says that this is so-and-so's work, and I don't remember who, unfortunately. But he specifically tells talks to Mother, and he says, this looks like so-and-so's work. I think it's Arcadis. Yeah, it's Arcadis. He says this is Arcadis's work. So that's interesting. Hmm. Well, either way, I'm sure when Odin inevitably shows up, He's going to mess something up. He's probably the only one besides us that messes up on a grand epic scale. <laughs> uh, but with all that, uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, if you have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them in. You can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and throw them into the Patreon and supporter queue and questions channel uh highly recommended we do look there first in fact all of these that we asked about today came from those uh if you are not a patreon supporter we do have one for non uh, patreon supporters which is just the queue and podcast questions and uh if you aren't and you can spare the uh dollar a month we do have a a tier that gives you a little bit uh support for us but consider donating to patreon.com slash blizzard watch because with your patreon support we are able to do this show uh, we're able to do the regular podcasts and we're able to do other wonderful things such as our continued articles and coverage uh, and specialty podcasts like the blizzard watch dnd campaign Um, it gives you early access to those as well and as well as private chat channels in which you can actually see some of our behind-the-scenes stuff, which might be of interest with you, especially as at the time of recording this, next week is BlizzCon. That's going to be really exciting, uh, especially because we do a lot of in-between talking, and you can get some uh, some good information there. But 
consider it if you can. We appreciate it. And also, we are still celebrating our uh, sixth anniversary this week at the time of this recording. So if you are interested in getting any of our wonderful merchandise with the Phoenix logos on them, all of our past years are available. You can see our site at blizzardwatch.com for details. Uh, Anything else you want to add before we call it a day, Matt? No, I think we did. It's time to go. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.